Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a complement to the Numinous School, an online intuition development course for people who want their self-awareness to make a difference in the world. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and this week my guest is Shakti Erlene Romago. And we're talking about her interesting and eclectic spiritual path that's included Catholicism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Quakerism. I connected with Shakti over Skype. She was at home in Victoria, BC. So Shakti, I can remember the very first day I met you, I was at my first Quaker meeting, and I remember thinking, who is this little woman with the huge energy? (laughs) And I've since been so delighted to get to know you just a little bit better. I'm curious, though, I don't know the answer to this. How did you come to be part of the Quaker community? Um. When I was young, maybe 28 or 30, and having, like, people that age do heartbreak, I went to a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon, and I really could feel and empathize with that group. So then later, when I moved to uh, Victoria, I went to the Quaker meeting house, by then I had, uh, I must have been much earlier than, younger than 28 because I was in my 30s when I moved to Victoria. Anyway, when I moved to Victoria, I went to, to check out the Quakers and I really liked them. So I had uh, young children and that was my peaceful place every week. I could go and be peaceful. So that's that's what I did. And I'll tell you, the other reason I went there is having been raised as a Catholic all my life, I have heard a sermon every day, I mean every week from the time I was, what, two, three, four years old until I was 30, 30-something. 30 so one time I counted how many sermons I had heard, <laughs> and it was far, far, far too many. So with a <laughs> With the Quakers can go and have quiet, eh? Mm-hmm. Quiet and no sermons. And then after a while, it just grew on me. I've been there about 30 years and it's my community. So I love it. Wow. And I love the reminder too, that of course you would have had small children because now at the meeting, we sometimes see your grandchildren there uh-huh. and they're such darling little sparks of light too. <laughs> and doesn't the the Victoria Quaker meeting house have such an amazing sense of place? I'm wondering if uh, the style, that unprogrammed uh, meeting where there's no sermon, was that similar for the uh, Quakers that you met in Portland? Because there's quite a spectrum of, of Quaker practice. There are, you know, on the East Coast, I know there there are programmed meetings where they do have um, speak, people speak and read from the Bible. Was it was it unprogrammed in Portland? Yes. Then? Okay. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, your spiritual path didn't stop at Quakerism. I love that... Um, 
you have been a, a seeker for so many years. And I, I know we can't encapsulate your entire path in just a half hour, but I'm very curious about your experience as a staff member at Plum Village in France, Thich Nhat Hans community. Can you tell me a little bit about that particular style of Buddhism and how did you find yourself there? Okay. Um, I had been uh, in Dharamsala, India, living in a um, Tibetan Buddhist nunnery for five years, teaching the nuns conversational English. And I was coming from there. I stopped. I was coming back here to Victoria. But I stopped in Thailand to visit friend. And just by chance, the group of people were going to uh, meet uh, uh Khan at a retreat and I went with them. I had been trying to meet him, but I couldn't coordinate times and places. So this happened serendipitously and about three to four things happened that were very profound during that weekend. And one of them is this, I just talking to a woman and we talked about what it was like to, to grow up when you didn't always live in your own home. And we walked into the main building and on the back wall in gigantic letters, it said, I am home. I have arrived. And what I was literally blown away. It was totally amazing. And I had at least three things happen that way that weekend. So then I was very interested. So uh, that was, I think, in the spring. In the fall, my son and I went to retreat in Vancouver because Thich Nhat Hanh was there. And then the next summer, I went back to France to go to the summer retreat there. And uh, I have just continued since uh, on uh, working with uh, the Plum Village in France. And, and because I've been consistent, uh, last winter I taught the nuns there English. And I'm going to leave in about two weeks to go back and staff summer retreat. So that's my journey into Plum Village. Now, go yeah, ahead. Tell me a bit about why Thich Nhat Hanh was so um, appealing. It sounds like you were very drawn to him. And also it sounds like you were very guided with those sort of little winks from the universe, <laughs> or in some yeah. cases, the big billboard, I am home. Yes. So what, yes. what drew you to Thich Nhat Hanh in particular? So this is the amazing thing to me. <clears throat> if I had started with Thich Nhat Hanh, when I was in my early 30s, I would not have followed the path of, uh, his path of mindfulness. I would have said, following my breath, I can do that, that's too easy, and it would not have, have felt challenging. Of course it would have been, but I would have been too naive then to know how challenging it is. So I've already spent 30 30. Five thirty plus years on this working on yeah, and I do work on the spiritual path. Okay, and I've done uh, uh, Hinduism twenty five years, and I've done now I've done the Buddhism, 
And so, having thoroughly engaged in those, I am now ready for Thich Nhat Hanh's style of mindfulness and engaged Buddhism. I'm ready to follow my breath in every moment and to know that as simple as it is, because we breathe all the time, that to really be fully present in this moment is, the, is a deep challenge that I'm ready for because I'm finding that the more I do that, the more that life opens up. And I'm thinking it just gets deeper and better from here. So it's like I'm, I'm totally engaged and totally hooked on this being fully present in the moment, which is mindfulness, eh? Mm-hmm. And then the engaged Buddhism part is you don't just sit and meditate. You <clears throat> go out into the world and you work with people. That's it. So as you are, um, you know, going to the grocery store or as you're washing dishes at the end of a meeting at the Quaker house, or as you, as you are, um, engaging with your grandchildren, are you following your breath in that moment? Are you, you know, what, what does engaged Buddhism actually look like when you're, when you're doing the mundane tasks of everyday living? Well, there's two ways to define engaged Buddhism and we need to be clear. Engage, excuse me, engaged Buddhism is these Buddhists, are the ones who actually go out and work with the poor. Mm -hmm. And it started in Vietnam because they rebuilt villages as they were being bombed. They really go out and work. That's engaged Buddhism. Okay. And that's different than what I'm talking about, mindfulness, when I breathe while I'm washing dishes and with my grandchildren. Okay. And, you know, that's the challenge to me is to be aware when I'm talking to you right now of that. Because I've got, as you know, lots of energy, and I just keep pushing through. I've been trained, but I have to retrain myself to be aware that what I'm really doing is breathing. So while we're at Plum Village, and let's say that my work meditation that day is uh, chopping vegetables. So you're chopping away, and... The joke is then maybe Thich Nhat Hanh would walk through. And if he said to you, what are you doing? You wouldn't say, I'm chopping vegetables. You'd say, I'm breathing. <laughs> and I have, uh, now I have students at Plum Village. So when I see them, I say to these nuns so that they can practice their English, I say, what are you doing? And they'll say to me in the best English they can, I'm I'm uh, sanitizing the dishes, <laughs> or I, I'm sweeping the floor. But I said this to a French woman standing there while the nuns were answering me, and she, and she honestly just looked at me and said, I'm breathing. And you go, yes, that's <laughs> it. So that's the practice. Just keep bringing myself back to my awareness that I'm breathing, back to my awareness that I'm breathing and it takes and keeps me in my heart space. Mm, That's beautiful. It sounds like there's so many uh, 
similarities in some ways between Buddhism and Quakerism, having that practice of silence and mindfulness, whereas Quakers are sitting in what they would call expectant waiting, waiting to hear, you know, that of God within them. Um, it sounds like Buddhism is is more about bringing consciousness or bringing awareness to what's already happening. So I'm wondering how these two similar but unique paths sort of how do they go into the soup that is your spiritual experience inwardly like are there things about one that you don't get in another or is it more that um you have a a a fondness for the sense of place of the quaker meeting house but really you consider yourself buddhist Mm, i um I don't consider myself anything anymore. Hmm. And I do have a fondness for the Quaker community. It's Hmm. my community. I fit there. I belong there. And uh, as far as the practices, how they're similar and different, uh, there's actually a pamphlet that's been written on that, and I've read it carefully, where she has analyzed those similarities and differences. But for me, I don't think like that anymore. I just see that they fit together beautifully, and I can say that when I was in Plum Village last winter for a three-month retreat, that many people ask me about Quakerism because there are these similarities and they're, they're interested uh, in how they uh, are similar or different. So I explain to these Buddhists about Quakerism and then this Sunday I'll explain again to the Quakers about Buddhism because to me there's, there's, there are these similarities. And as you say, they're, they're pretty... It, well, for me, you'd have to analyze them and look carefully to see the similarities and differences. Mm-hmm. But they certainly blend. They certainly work together beautifully for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm curious then how your Catholic upbringing, since you were very small, what remains of that in Shakti? Well, I started that at a, uh, and I lived at the Cath- with the Catholic nuns at school to begin with. And then I, I lived with family for, to complete 12 years with the nuns. And then I chose a, uh, uh, Jesuit university because I, I really wanted to know and to understand Catholicism. And I, 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 I did that. I, I know that. Now I don't know about today's Catholicism because I left that path when I had a life-changing event and uh, began following Baba Hari Das in the Hindu yogic path. What remains of Catholicism in me? A thorough knowledge of, of Catholicism. Uh, I know what it's about. I, I understand. Not modern, not today, but, but what I learned. I, I know that. So when I learn the new, whether it's the ancient Hindu uh, ways or whether it's the Buddhist teachings, I can easily compare and contrast. So that's, that's what I do. And the other interesting thing to me is that when I travel in Christian countries, Catholic countries like Italy and Spain, 
I go to church there, and I can totally relate to those people because they're very Catholic. And I know that tradition very well, but it no longer resonates deeply with me. Mm-hmm. It's something I know, I understand, and it's beautiful, and I love it, but it's, it's not deep enough for me. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the most challenging part of the spiritual path for you? You, you know, you, you, it sounds to me like you have done such deep inquiry and it's led you to, you know, long commitments, you know, some people sort of spiritually leapfrog, but you're, you're saying, you know, I, I explored Hinduism for a couple decades. I explored, you know, it's, it's, it's long engagement with these different traditions. I'm curious what you find is your greatest struggle on the spiritual path. You know, it's a very interesting question. And I don't dwell on the struggles at all because being, uh, in the moment with the breath, I'm fully present. I try to be fully present in the moment. I don't dwell on those kinds of questions anymore. When I was younger, of course, difficulties loomed very large in life. They don't anymore. But to answer that question, I just scanned and I see that for me, it's like a desire. I have a wish and it is the big difficulty. Uh, I wish that I could, you know, hear the voice of God, goddess. I wish I could talk to them directly. And I do in my own way, but I never hear anything. I can feel it. I can live it. But, you know, I'd like a direct channel to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> you want the, the red phone that you can yeah. just pick up. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. Don't yeah. we all? Yeah. yeah. Don't we all? Yeah. That's exactly. And so have you explored um, doing intuitive work ever before? It sounds like you have a very s- strong spiritual connection. So you, you're getting winks from the universe. You're getting sometimes big, huge billboards answering your prayers. Do you Have you ever taken a path that was more about, um, you know, direct revelation or channeling or anything like that? I would think in the new age, you know, having... Um, been there at that perfect time in on the west coast of North America during the 60s and 70s I would think that would have been um, front and center for you oh yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. one group here in Victoria we were the seven sisters all seven were intuitive Mm. Uh, one time when I went to Mexico my friend and we my daughter was three and she's 30 so 27 years ago um she was doing personal growth with people. I was her assistant. And they said, you must teach us how to uh, channel like you do. And she says, I can teach all of you, but I can't teach Shakti. And I felt so bad. I was so upset. I said, why not? She says, because you do it in a completely different way than I do. And what I do is I read energy all the time. That's what I do. But to me, it's normal. I've always done it. So I am intuitive. I'm a double sag. So my intuition is very good, but it's not that di- I don't consider it that direct thing to God. But mm. I listen to my intuition. It's very strong. Mm-hmm. Are, when you're reading energy, is it are, are, is it sort of more of a 
a clairsentience? Like you can feel somebody's yeah. energy or you see, oh, okay. No, it's clairsentient. Hmm. Wow. Well, then that makes perfect sense that when I walked into the room, I, I bumped into your energy before I even got in the door. <laughs> and, it, you know, it, I, you probably get this all the time that you're, you know, for such a small person that you have such a, you know, a great presence. And I'm wondering, how does that work in Buddhism? Aren't you supposed to sort of, you know, sort of be um, masterful with your energy? And, and you know, it, do they talk about energy very much at Plum Village? Well, the masterfulness for me with my energy is that I was blessed with this small body so that people think that I'm small. <laughs> it's, it's only people like you who can see the energy, who know other. And in Plum Village, you know, well, any place, I'm not quite sure how, how others see me because you just now said how you see me. But in Plum Village, they want me to be there because what I do and is I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm older than than most, so I'm very uh, grounded, and I don't consider myself a grounded person. But I'm I know what is, and I know the way to be. I know I know what is to be in this moment, and so that's what I do. And they they appreciate the solidness of my practice, and I'm not I'm I'm. Uh, I guess grounded would be the word. Mm -hmm. So uh, do they talk about energy? Well, Thich Nhat Hanh teaches us a lot, and he's very aware of energy, but it's not something that is discussed in intuitive mm -hmm. terms. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So in this moment, Shakti, in this I suppose, in this time of your life, but in this moment, what do you consider perfect happiness? Perfect happiness. Uh, you know, at this moment, this time in my life, I think that perfect happiness is being fully present in the moment, wherever I am, with whomever I am with in that situation a hundred percent there because then my heart is fully open. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your heart with me and with the listeners today. I am so blessed and so grateful to be in your presence, Shakti. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's fun for me. <laughs> she got me there. I'm not going to lie. I was really misty and had a frog in my throat uh, when Shakti was talking about being fully present and having her heart open in that moment. That was beautiful. If you'd like to find more information on Thich Nhat Hanh or Plum Village, you're going to find it on my website in the podcast tab. Just go to carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. And I want to thank Shakti again for being on the show. I'm so pleased that you got to meet her. So thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate your review on iTunes. And please share it far and wide because you never know who needs to hear it right now.
If you'd like to keep exploring the great mystery of life with me, you can go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, and click the link in the upper right corner for the Numinous School, my online intuition development course. While you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter. You'll instantly receive a free meditation download, and you'll get something free from me every month. Until next time, take care.